0: You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. Ready to take the next step in your mental health journey but not sure where to start? Feeling pretty good but interested in getting more in touch with the true you? Struggling with substance misuse and not sure where to turn? Reach out. The first session is always free, and hey, sometimes we all just need someone to talk to. Find me at jayshiffman.com today. Spread love. Choose Your Struggle. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. This is episode 12. It's a Monday motivation episode, a very special Monday motivation because it is rock bottom storytellers. That's right. If you missed the live event, you can go back and watch it in the show notes. There's a link there or on my Facebook page, um on my YouTube. Also, you're going to hear it today. Uh, this is long because of that. I mean, that, ep- that 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 event was over an hour. So, you know, if you are listening to this and you're like, I'm not into that, um, go watch the, the, the recording. You know, you can see everybody tell their story. If you are like, I'm turning this on specifically so I can listen to this while I'm driving or whatever the case is. Wonderful. Welcome. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you again. If you're listening to this and you're about to turn this off because you already watched it, you were one of the 200 people who tuned in the night of, thank you. Stick around for this intro and then tune it off because we've got some other stuff to cover on the way in. So before we get to the rock-bottom storytellers, though, I did want to give you a little bit of a sort of behind-the-scenes peek or or an explanation about my process. Um, Now, I do record... Uh, the interview is way in advance. I've talked about that before. Usually sometimes as, as much as a month to six weeks in advance. These intros I do the week of uh, for the episodes, the, the Friday episodes. For Monday, they're, they're the week before. Perfect example is this will come out um, on – Oh, what is that? What is the Monday coming up? I'm literally looking it up as I'm talking to you. This is fantastic podcast. Uh, it's coming out on, on February fifteenth. I'm recording this on the ninth. Uh, I'll, I'll add it on the tenth. So, a little bit in advance. Now, I spend probably more time editing than I do anything else, and. For the Friday episodes, that makes sense. You know, that's the point. That's supposed to be my weekly masterpiece, right, where the focus is the the interview. Now, with the interviews, I used to painstakingly go through and take out the ums or the the uhs, the stutters, that kind of thing. But I'm not doing that anymore because that's a lot of work. I still clean it up. I still you know make that sound better, of course. And then when it comes to my intros and outros, um, I make those sound really good. as you probably have heard. I take out my breaths, I, I make sure that I am on point. If I ramble, I'll take that out, stuff like that. That makes sense for the Friday episodes that those the point of those is the interview. Everything I say around it is sort of bonus. But for these Monday motivations, the goal is to be more raw. You know, uh, last week's with um, the the t- discussion of cast, that was deeper. That's not something that's going to be happening on every episode. So that's the point of this: is to be more, you know, uncut. And so because of that, you're hearing this today. If if something sounds a little different. It's because I'm no longer editing out my breaths on Monday. I I made that conscious decision. I was spending like an hour on every Monday episode just editing, not recording, not thinking about what I'm going to do, you know, processing all of that, just editing because I had to remove my breaths. And all the stuff that I do on Friday episodes, I'm not going to do it anymore anymore. Uh, if that bothers you, I get it. I get it. That's why I started doing it in the first place. I hate the sound of my breathing on this episode, uh, on the on on this podcast. I didn't. My, I don't mind it for other people, and I don't mind it in the interviews because it's you know part of the conversation. But when it's just me in the studio and the sound quality is better, it really bothers me. That being said, it quite frankly is not worth my time just to <laughs> appease my OCDs. So. If that bothers you, I feel it. I'm so sorry. Uh, Hopefully, you can get used to it. If not, if you choose to stop listening to the money episodes because you don't like the sound of my breath, I get it. Um, I probably would make the same decision if this wasn't my podcast. So just wanted to give you that heads up. Uh, obviously not worthy of, <laughs> of being its own episode, uh, but wanted to kind of throw that out there as we go into rock bottom. This will be more of what Monday is going to sound like going forward, even the, on the days where I'm actually talking about something. But don't worry, if that annoys you, you you won't have to deal with it on Fridays because I, that, that will always be something that I clean up as much as possible. The Friday episodes are my babies, and, <laughs> and I want them to be beautiful for everybody. So there's that heads up. Without further ado, enjoy today's episode, Rock Bottom Storytellers. Hello, and welcome to the very first Rock Bottom Storytellers presented by Choose Your Struggle. For those who don't know me, my name is Jay Schiffman. I'm a mental health and substance misuse and recovery speaker, coach and advocate, and the host of the Choose Your Struggle podcast, which you can find on all your podcast platforms. I'm also the producer of this event and the host for tonight. There's a famous quote by Graham Greene that I love. And it says, a story has no beginning or end. Arbitrarily, one chooses the moment of experience from which to look back on or from which to look forward, uh, look ahead. I love that. And I think it perfectly illustrates why we're all here tonight. When I get hired to tell my story, it's usually under the header of motivational or inspirational speaker. As I describe it, what people are looking for from me in those moments is the V-shaped story, right? I establish the facts uh, with the prologue. I breeze through the bottom of my story, which nobody really wants to hear about. And then I focus on the bounce back because everybody loves a good comeback story. But that's not what we're doing here tonight. See, those stories are amazing and I usually get paid pretty well to tell mine, but they don't help normalize struggle, nor do they do enough, in my opinion, to eliminate the stigma around the issues that we're dealing with here. Or at least I feel that this sort of story, the kind that we're gonna focus on tonight, that can do a lot more. Now, what we're gonna do here is more of a a U-shape. We need to establish the facts. And of course, we're not gonna let you leave here without being inspired. I promise all of these speakers will motivate you with their stories of struggle. But in the middle, I want you to sit with these stories with these struggles that everybody talking and speaking and telling their stories tonight has had to go through. And I want you to learn from this, that it's okay to struggle. It's okay to be vulnerable. And most importantly, it's okay to talk about all of it. Now, some of these stories may trigger you tonight. None of them are gonna be easy to hear. I know that I've heard them all. They're all incredible, but none of them are easy. That's not what we're here for though. We're not here to be easy. And if you decide that you need to take a break It's okay. If you do feel that, you're in luck. We have an incredible musician, TJ White, to sing with us tonight. He's going to give us a break in the middle, a little bit of a a palate cleanser because some of these stories can get very heavy. But if that's not enough for you, it's okay to mute us. Take a break. Go hug your dog or your spouse and then come back because we want to inspire you tonight. We don't want to trigger you. And if you do feel unable to continue, and that's something you want to talk about, you'll hear tonight why almost everybody on this broadcast is a person who will sit there with you and talk about these feelings with you afterwards. Now, I encourage you to reach out to myself, reach out to all the other storytellers if they inspire you tonight, and and I know they will. All of us are doing this because we, tr- we deeply care about this topic and we wanna help others. So reach out, tell us what you liked, what made you feel something, tell us how you related to our stories. That's the most important thing. Now, really quick, a little bit of housekeeping before we begin. The four speakers tonight all come at this from incredibly different backgrounds and experiences. A couple are like me, professionals are doing this. Others aren't and are simply here because they believe in the power of this story and what we're trying to accomplish. But tonight, none of these incredible, amazing people have been paid. They're all here out of the goodness of their hearts. The same goes for our, our incredible musician, TJ White. What I ask is that you show your, your support for these people by checking out their social media, their website. Uh, we're going to drop links throughout the show so you know where to go, go follow them. And if someone does motivate you, let them know. That's what we all get a kick out of. That's what, what really motivates us. And, uh, you know, it, it, it inspires us to keep doing what we're doing. Finally, we can't hear your applause, which I know will be copious and enthusiastic. I, I know that. But what we can see is your comments. So wherever you're watching, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, if that's your thing, drop a comment, right? Share this. And then let us know because I can see it in the in the people backstage. They can see it, too. That's the kind of stuff that will get them motivated. So please don't be don't be shy with your feelings tonight. We want to hear from you. Now, this tonight tonight is not about me. (laughs) I'm just your host. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to the first amazing person that we have speaking to you tonight. I had the pleasure of inter, excuse me, I had the pleasure of interdu- of interviewing Michelle for my podcast a couple months back. And I came away from that conversation more enthusiastic than I had after an interview since actually I interviewed another storyteller, Frederick Chicago, a couple months before that. See, If Michelle came as an action figure, which is something that I would 100% buy, she would come with a couple of awesome accessories, her iconic crutch, a microphone, and a gigantic smile. And I know when she's done, y'all are going to have the same smile on your face, but that's not all. Michelle told me right before we started this, that she's doing something special for everybody tonight. If you reach out to her, She'll give you a free one-on-one session. All you have to do is tell her that you saw her speak during the rock bottom storytellers. All right. So definitely don't be shy, reach out to Michelle. Now, wherever you are, I want you to give me a warm round of applause snaps, whatever it is that you do and help me bring our first speaker, Michelle Koua to the stage.
1: Thank you, Jay. I can't do the snap. (laughs) I've always never learned how to snap, so I can never snap, but here we are. There's a difference between uh, speakers, um, a good speaker versus an extraordinary speaker, Uh, and and he disappeared. But here it is. The difference is a good speaker will tell you a story. An exceptional speaker would inspire you. So I have no doubt that each and every single one of you is going to walk away inspired and not only inspired, but you're about to take some action in your life. So hang on to your uh, tighten your seatbelt because I'm we're about to get started. So just a little bit about myself. I am Michelle Quay. I'm a confidence and leadership coach. And I work with individual who, who's doing a lot of negative self-talk. And it's that, it's that person, that inner voice where we keep constantly reminding ourselves that we are not worthy of our own love. We're not worthy of anybody else's love. But yet there's dreams. You dream, you have a dream, you have a vision. And I wanted to tell you a story where I my struggle began. So I had a quick background. I had a car accident when I was 11 years old. I was hit by a car that was coming towards me really fast. And the next thing I know, I am uh, permanently disabled from that, ca- uh, from that accident. So for a good 40 years of my life, I was walking with two crutches. Um, every single day, I look into the mirror. I see myself, my body really uh, my leg is crooked and there's not a single pants in my drawer that has not been altered. There's not a single pair of shoes that I had not bring it to the shoe repair so that I can walk a little bit more even. Um, And so a lot of time my friend used to call me, you're like a penguin because that's how you walk. And that's how people see me. They see me from my appearance. Um, first impression. And those of you who are, have been into a job interview, you've been um, going to places, the first impression that you put on people. My first impression that I gave is this is a really short, pretty girl. I doubt that she can help me. I doubt that she can manage the job. And that that doubt coming from other people and when they sent me those messages, I began to internalize it. And sooner or later, I started to believe it. And what really um, put me down to the bottom, rock bottom of my struggle was a day when I was invited to a friend's wedding. And it was uh, almost 5, 10 years ago. And I remember it so vividly, I can recall all the little tiny details that went through on that particular day. I was invited to a friend's wedding and I walked into her bride's room. And those of you who've been married, who, who, have been, who was married, you know how amazing that day must have been. It's every girl's dream, every woman's um, uh, dreams when we were little. So I walked in and I saw this dress hanging perfectly there elegantly on the mannequin. And right in front of the wedding dress, there was a pair of shoes. It was the most spectacular, beautiful shoes ever seen in my life. And it reminds me, when I saw it, it reminds me of something new, something old, something blue. And it has a little blue diamond on top of the shoes. So I was thinking, wow, that's a beautiful pair of shoes. During the ceremony, I saw my friend walking down the aisle with her father holding hand with hand and her mom was just in tears. And I remember sitting in the audience and I was in tears. It was years of shame, guilt, anger that I was feeling due as someone living with disability and being looked upon as someone who is underprivileged. I go to places and people treat me very special. And sometimes that special treatment, it's not very inspiring. I don't want to be seen different. I want to be part of something. I want to be part of a community. I want to be part where I find myself, where I belong. So when my friends walked down the aisle, it was just really, it really reminded me of how I am very different. I am so different that I don't believe that I was worthy of being in this world. (laughs) Um, So moving into relationship, meeting someone else, it was all reminder of I can be who I am because of the way I look. And that was my biggest struggle. But I think as we all probably will go through that journey of, experiencing the very bottom of our challenge and somehow we find our way back and for me the way that I found my way back was I slow. I decided that I am going to change how I feel about myself despite of the look I may be trapped in this body that doesn't look really good doesn't look normal but that's okay I'm going to challenge myself to prove myself that I can do exactly what you're doing right now. I can do exactly your job and maybe even better. So I decided to prove to myself that I can do this. And what did I do? <laughs> you might ask. I booked a ticket to uh, hike the Inca trail, a 26 miles Inca trail to Machu Picchu. It was a four day hike every single day I had to put on a pair of shoes. And that pair of shoes was a hiking boots. It was not pretty, and, but it was endurance. And, and when, you, uh, when we talk about um, having that mindset, having that determination, it comes down to as simple as just putting on your shoes, just getting out there and just do something so that you can prove your, to yourself that you're capable of doing things. So that's exactly what I did. Um, Yes, I did have to go to the gym and start training myself in in order to get to that final step of hiking through the Inga trail. Um, And going to the gym, it was not something that's very uh, easy for me, especially considering that. If I were to stand up right now, I am the same guy. I will do a little demo. So this is me sitting down and this is me standing up. Surprise! Right? So. (laughs) And that was, that was not easy for me to share on the video, let alone meeting in person. I was keeping a lot of what I was going through within myself so that no one know about because it made me feel really uncomfortable to talk about it. I want to be seen as if I am perfectly normal. So I with that journey, I wrote a book. I wrote a book, it's called Perfectly Normal because for a very long time, I just want to be normal. And to be not normal means that every moment I'm reminding myself of I look different. And looking different is not something that's very inspiring. But guess what? None of us look alike. And we all were meant to look different. There's a reason for us to be different, to be unique, to have, to to be able to offer, to bring impact and service into this world. And that is the reason why we're all different. So even though I'm four feet four inches tall, I can still contribute to something. So if you ever meet me in the grocery shop, don't worry, come up to me, I will reach to the bottom of the shelf where you might have trouble in doing so. And on the reverse, I would love for you to help me reaching the stuff on the top. But the journey wasn't easy. And coming off from that journey, it was a struggle every single moment. There were days I wake up, I don't want to wake up. I would pinch myself so hard that I bruise myself because this is the pair of legs that I didn't ask for, but I'm stuck with it. Now, the question is when you're stuck with something, what do you want to do about it? There's a couple of things that you can do You can sit there and you can cry. You can feel sorry for yourself or you can get up and do something about it. Whatever that looks like, you can get up right now and do something about it. You can go and talk to your friend. You can come and watch our inspirational uh, video, follow us or you can actually take one single step Put on your shoes, open the door, and just go out and be brave. I think one quote I will leave you with is that th- this world, in this world, you can be anything. You can literally be anything. But if you ever think about what do you want to be or who do you want to be, just be brave. Be brave. That's what I'll leave you with.
0: Wow! Thank you, Michelle. That was incredible. Um, I think I, ooh, I I made it real tough on uh, everybody by putting Michelle first. That may have been a mistake. Uh, <laughs> luckily, our next uh, storyteller is unbelievable. I, I he's honestly hard to introduce. Not because he's not incredible. He is, like I said before, the only person, you know, the former the Michelle who inspired me the way she did was our next storyteller, Freddie Chagag. But because nobody can top his energy and his excitement. You know, Freddie looks at superheroes and is like, man, get on my level. He is the founder and the CEO of the Message LLC. He's passionate about ending the stigma around the topics of substance misuse. The accolades for Freddie are too numerous to, to list here. I, I Honestly, that would be the rest of our show. But the most important thing is he's a guy who lived this. You know, he once described to me beyond the education he has, which is pretty great. But he said, honestly, dude, the, big, the biggest thing is I have a PhD in life. Now, I know Freddie is going to bring the heat. So please help me welcome Frederick Chagad to the stage.
2: Hello. Um, First, let me just say how humbled and honored I am to be here. Jay, thank you for who you are and what you do and what you bring to this earth. You are a true blessing to this field. Uh, Thank you to all the other speakers that are here as well. I find it an honor to share this platform with you. I mean that. Thank you for what you do. Uh, To the audience that's here, thank you for taking time out your day to bless us with your presence. So um, my name is Frederick Chagog. I'm founder and CEO of the Message LLC, it's a motivational speaking company where I am blessed to travel this country uh, and speak on mental health and substance use disorder. However, Jay was naming all those things, right? And, and they're all great. But but let me let me just be real honest here. So I get asked all the time, Freddie, how did you go from a homeless, dumpster diving, panhandling, pin on yourself? spiritually dead, walking around, not knowing where anything is at. How did you go from that to within almost five years, you have a motivational speaking company where you travel the country speaking on substance use and mental health. You keynote national conferences. You're a published writer. You're a graduate of high honors. You're a family man, right? Like how were you able to do volunteer commitment? How were you able to do that? Here's your answer. God and grind. See what I tell people all the time is it didn't start this way. When I was nine years old, and I like our speaker before us when she was talking about, you know, trying to be normal, trying to fit in. Listen, when I was nine years old, the first thing I ever did, I got high off my asthma in My addiction, my addiction started very, very early. All right. I tell people all the time: this is a brain disorder. I have a brain that likes more. Okay, when I was in the incubator, the plan was never, well, uh, Joyce, that's my mother's name, um, by the time he's 15, by the time he's 15, he'll be going to treatment. No, that that wasn't the goal. All right. They've been studying the brain since the early 1900s and Yale, Harvard, Princeton, the top psychiatrists, doctors, whatever institution you want to name. They've all come to one agreement. There is no cure for this. It is a brain disorder. So whenever I touch something and my brain likes it, I don't have a shutoff. So that led me to nine years old, I'm getting high of my asthma inhaler. At 12 years old, 12, 13, I'm in my first institution, suicidal ideation. At 15, I'm in another institution. Fast forward, I end up in 20 institutions and 15 psych units that I can remember. And because I didn't want to work on myself, because I didn't want to do things to make myself better, like yoga, like prayer, like meditation, like medication, spiritual groups, hanging around positive people, eating right, working out, all those healthy tools, I found myself in a dumpster. I found myself thinking that the best I could ever do in life was dig in a dumpster and drink myself to death. And I remember, right? Like, like I remember laying next to the dumpster and, and, and the mice running over me. Like, I remember thinking, like, I'm going to die here. And luckily, by God's grace and mercy, a uh, African-American man woke me up. And I told him, I said, let me die. And he said, you ain't dying today. I said, listen, I'm a failure in life. I'm a horrible person. I'm not meant to be here. I'm not good enough to survive. He said, you're not dying today. I called the ambulance. He's on his way. He saved my life. Fast forward. And, and and I want to be clear about this. What I've learned and having a wonderful woman that I have now is healthy people are not attracted to unhealthy people. The reason I know that is because I realized what it took for me to get to that dumpster. See, I didn't get to that dumpster just based on me picking up drugs and alcohol. I got there based on the internal things that were going on in my soul that I was not fixing. I didn't. I wanted to fit with the rest of the world. I wanted to be something else. But what I had to realize is when I was digging in that dumpster, I wasn't digging for food. I was digging for life. What I was realizing is I was trying to figure out who I was and what my way in the world was, but I couldn't figure it out. I got the help I needed. When I remember being in treatment and instead of, you know, count my days, I made my days count. And I started realizing that every day I woke up, it was about change. So I started a prayer group in there. Right. And when I started a prayer group, I remember like it taught me integrity because I realized that if I'm going to have a prayer group, if I'm going to be this leader in a community, I need to be a leader, not just with my mouth, but I need to be a leader with my footwork. And that's been good for me because it's taught me how to really lead. It's taught me how to really mentor. It's taught me how to really be a leader. It's taught me how to be a, a family man, understanding that I have a platform now. And my job is to help other people not go to a dumpster. Right. But I had to learn that from day one. And I like what our speaker talked about before. It's about this. It's about the work. Right. And, and I think a lot of times I used to be a person where I liked the fruit, but I didn't like the labor. See, I was a person where I liked the rewards, but I didn't like the grind that came with it. And so as life has gotten better, and I've been very blessed, I did 78 days in treatment. I got out of there, and I I was fortunate to, to, to put together a strong foundation, a strong network, And I remember meeting uh, my wonderful, wonderful fiance. I called my wife because she is. And I told her, I said, Kim, this ain't gonna work. I can't be with you. I said, you have achieved more than I have in life. You're doing better than I am in life. There's no way that me and you could work. And I'll never forget what she told me. She said, Freddie, it is not about what you have. It is about who you are. And it hit me. Wait a minute. I used to think my life got better because I had a better degree, because I had a better car, because I had a better house, because I had a better looking girlfriend, because I had better stuff. I finally realized my life got better, not because of what I had, but because I became a better person. And once I enrolled in school, my grades started coming in. I started realizing I wasn't stupid. I did my first. I, I I got blessed. It my first English class turned into my first publication, which turned into. Uh, I got by God's grace and mercy, I was published on the front page of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Then the rest is history. Before I knew it, I graduated Delaware County Community College. I graduated a 3.7, 3.7 GPA. I finished uh, with high honors. They put me on the front cover of the magazine. I ended up. Uh, Doing my first national keynote. By God's grace, I received two national scholarships. One's paying right now for me to go to Westchester University, where I'm taking 18 credits. I'm enrolled in an honors college. I currently have a 3.73 GPA, and I'm doing an internship. I'm a family man. Uh, I'll have five years sober uh, in June. I I speak across the country. Now I'm doing it virtually. I mean, God has completely changed my life. But I promise you, it didn't start here. And and I tell people all the time, the beauty is in the journey. Like, I, I, I no longer worry about the, 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 the forecast because I know at the end of the day, if I just put in the work, I just do the right things, then the right things will get placed in front of me. I have a healthy network around me. People that tell me what I need to hear, and not what I want. They do that because they really love me. So I take their advice and I listen to their advice because they're worried about where I'm going. And, and I can't tell you, like, there's such a gift to be able to stand in front of an audience, to be able to stand in front of a group of children and tell them, listen, I know the drugs and alcohol might look good. I know your friends might seem like they're having fun. I know those things might look like it's cool. But let me just tell you, drugs and alcohol would deter you from where you're trying to go. And I tell them all the time, I don't need you to be the next LeBron or the next Serena Williams or the next Tiger Woods or the next athlete or the next entertainer. I need you to find out what is your purpose? Why are you here? Because once you figure that out, the sky's the limit. I wake up every day now with a purpose. I wake up every day now realizing I wasn't a mistake. And I like what our speaker said before this, and and, and I'm here to tell you all, anybody that's struggling, and I'm sure somebody, you know, on here, especially dealing with COVID and all that's going on in the world, some some people are struggling. Families are are struggling to eat and things are tight right now. Let me just tell you, hold on. Let me just tell you, you're not a mistake. There's a reason you're put here, whether that be the lawyer, the doctor, the nurse, the janitor. Why do you say janitor? Because it's not the job you got, it's what you do with the job. So, whatever problems you may see going on in the world, whatever things you may see going on that bother you, I ask you, what can you do to make it better? What is in you that is different from everybody else? Because you are created for a purpose. You are created to do something that can make this world better. You may have the brain to figure out the cure for cancer, you may have something in you that can do something for this world to make it a better place. And I'm telling you, in my opinion, for what I'm learning, I want to empower people to empower other people. And I'll end with this. Here's why. I did my first assembly in New Jersey at the school district. I was a chair of the school district. I was so nervous. And at the end, I walked to this little girl. I said, did you like it and all this other stuff? She was third grade. She said, oh, Mr. Freddie, let me just tell you, before you came, I was making bad decisions. But after listening to you, I'm going to make some better ones. That told me all I need to know. Simon Siddick was right. Leadership is not about the next election. Leadership is about the next generation. Bless you all. The Message LLC is where you can find me. And thank you for having me. I'm humble and honored to be here. Have a blessed day.
0: Woo! (laughs) Oh, man. I I told you all about the energy that Freddie brings. Oh, I uh, I definitely encourage y'all, you know, go, go back and listen to a couple episodes in the first season of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Michelle's on there. Freddie is on there. One of our incredible storytellers from later just dropped two weeks ago in the second season. But before we go on with the other, other storytellers, we're going to take a break. There's a lot that's been said already. I know, like y'all, I need to take a break, get something to drink, all that. So we're going to have a little, a little musical number for us tonight. Now, TJ White is... I've known this guy for like five years now, which is nuts. He just, he's one of those cool dudes who just cares about this stuff. When I asked him to do this, he said, without a doubt, he said, you only have to ask, I'm there. So without further ado, while we take our break, I'm gonna bring to you TJ White.
3: Hi everybody. Uh, My name is TJ White. I would like to thank Jay for asking me to come here and play some music here for the middle of Choose Your Struggle Presents, Rock Bottom Storytellers. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is old here, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, roaming like a breeze. The country roads. Take me home to that place I belong West Virginia Mountain Mama Country Roads take me home all my memories gathered round her. Modest lady, stranger to blue water. Dark and dusty, painted on the sky. Misty taste of moonshine, teardrops in my eyes, country roads. Take me home to that place. I belong in West Virginia mountain man country roads take me home I hear her voice
4: in the morning hour
3: she calls me the radio reminds me of my home far away driving down that road I get the feeling that I should have been home yesterday yesterday country roads take me home to that place i belong west virginia mountain mom Country roads take me home Country roads take me home To that place I belong West Virginia Mountain mom Take me home Country roads Take me home, country roads Take me home, country roads Cornelia, the sky's so black you couldn't see. But I had my girl, she was sunshine through those clouds. Till that day in August when she wouldn't marry me. And now I'm gone, 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 down the old Monongahela. Running freight to Marietta. A new life on the Ohio, and I'm gone, 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 gone the rivers there away not hanging around Pittsburgh anymore. But we're all drifters here. to our memories and the water. The currents and the wheels take us where they want to go. We haul around our heartbreak like we haul around our freight. And hope that winded river takes us to a better place. Now I'm gone, gone, gone. Past the boxing through the wind the port of cincinnati and other willie or young liz and i'm gone 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 the river's up this morning time to leave the old city once again With my brother's and dad. But now I'm dodging driftwood, headed toward the Mississippi. My home is on this river, let this river carry me. And now I'm gone, 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 past the falls of the Ohio, down the Luzon land to Cairo, and the places in between. Yeah, I'm gone, 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 and I don't know where I'm going. But I'll know when I get there, you will see. Yeah, I'm gone, gone, gone And I don't know where I'm going But I'll know it. When I get there, you will see um, I'd like to thank Jay again For putting this event together this evening uh, The first song I did was Take Me Home Country Roads Which is a, a John Denver song The second song I just played was called I'm Not Hanging Around Pittsburgh Anymore That's the song I wrote Um, the last song I'll do for you all is also a song I wrote. I wrote this, um, in December of 2019, uh, and song's actually about how I don't like winter. Uh, but as we get through this winter and everything that's going on with this winter, I think that the message from the song still resonates. Um, I know personally, uh, when I'm going through the dark times, one of my anchors, one of the things that works for me is looking for hints of light. Um, Even if it's at two more minutes or one more minute of light, we're getting each day right now. Um, And that's what the song is about. So, Jay, thanks again. Uh, Thank you to all of our speakers today. The song's called A Little More Light. I will defend. Is down, the snow is coming down, the snow is coming down, snow is coming down. Said they got six inches downtown, and they'll get six more by morning. When I go to work, I wake up in the dark, up in the dark, up in the dark. A lonely street light, holds a vigil by my car and the sun is struggled in again. But every day I see a little more light, a little more light, a little more. Light. Every day I see a little more light. Thank you, Doc. I'm just coming to you end. The wind blows, the cold wind blows. Seeps through the cracks in my old windows. I think the air's trying to kill me. And I didn't realize the skies could be so gray, with fifty shades of gray almost every single day. All and cheers spent all packed away in the basement like a distant memory. But. Every day I see a little more light, a little more light, a little more light. Every day I see a little more light. Thank you, Dark. It is coming to the Thank you, darling. Winter's coming to an end. Uh, thank you all for listening during the intermission. Uh, Jay will be back in just a moment. We'll continue on with our storytellers.
0: All right. That was awesome. That uh, It was something I really wanted to do with this is, is have a musical number because in the middle of this, we're talking about hard topics and I was like who can I get that will just bring some happiness to it and TJ was my first call and I'm so glad that he said yes that was that was fantastic now uh, we've got two more incredible storytellers coming up uh, before we do tell you a little bit more about uh, choose Your Struggle. For those of you who are here from someone else inviting you, Choose Your Struggle. You know, I do a whole lot of stuff, but the, the biggest thing is the podcast. Please check out the podcast. Uh, these are going to be more regular going forward every couple of months or so. Uh, I've also got another series of storytelling events debuting in about a month. It's going to be one-on-one. It's kind of similar to this, except just one person, a lot shorter and just sort of a longer uh, option for, for some people who have incredible stories that I think uh, need to be out there. You know, because Look, I do this a lot. Uh, I was my 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 branding person is here, and she and I were were just working on a project where she asked me to list all of the 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 things I'd done in the last year, all the articles, all the podcasts. And I realized that, that number was over seventy. And as amazing as that is, because I do I work my ass off on this, my story isn't special. I mean, yeah, it's special, but I'm not alone in this, right? There are other people who, their voices need to get heard, and that's the whole point of doing this is I want to give the, the, the people the platform that I've been able to get both uh, now for the last almost six years of doing this and the one that I've created myself. So if you're, you're really vibing what I'm putting down, check out the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I do have some merch, uh, magnets, stickers, and – Tank tops. So check that out if you want to support what I'm trying to do. And, and most important, like the Facebook page, uh, subscribe to the podcast, find me on Instagram, find me on Twitter, find me on all the places, right? Search for Jay Shiftman or choose your struggle. Everywhere you do things, uh, I'm there. And you can find me at my website, jshiftman.com. Now, Our next storyteller is someone who I got to tell you, the last two, I'm like, I'm just such a big fan of, right? Michelle and Freddie are both incredible, but Cynthia is different, right? I admire Cynthia because she doesn't do this professionally. Uh, We got connected. uh, We decided to have a little virtual cup of coffee and since then, I have been so inspired by her. She is such a brave person. She is uh, just a, the person who says yes to things. And and when I reached out to her and said, hey, I think you would be great for this, she didn't just immediately say yes. She said, i got to be honest. i got to think about this for a minute. And and that really resonated with me because as those of you who know my story, that's the same thing here. It took Sean Braley, the host of Cincy Stories, uh, almost four months to convince me to do this back in 2015. And of course, now here I am uh, six, almost six years later doing this professionally. So uh, I, I definitely saw a lot of, of that in Cynthia. Now, Cynthia got her master's in social work from Columbia is now a certified trauma uh, treatment professional. She's someone that, like I said, I respect and I appreciate because she's out there doing it. You know, she is on the front lines, helping people with these issues. And I know that you are going to love her The same. So I really would appreciate if you could help me welcome to the stage, Cynthia Ciadot. Cynthia. There she is. All right. It would help
4: if my camera and mic (laughs) were on, wouldn't it?
0: (laughs) Welcome to the stage, Cynthia.
4: Thank you. All right. Hi, everybody. I'm uh, Cynthia Ciadot. And like Jay said, I am actually, I'm a proud licensed clinical social worker, proud Filipina um, who runs her own private practice here in Los Angeles. And like many other therapists, part of how I ended up in the field was because as a young person, the most complicated word that my family had for any emotion was the word weird. And um, and I, do- I just dove right into the field of psychology and it really taught me more about my own human experiences as well as understanding what kind of human I wanted to be. So I've recently taken on more speaking engagements like this, podcasts and things, um, partly uh, because I want to challenge my own internalized stigma around mental health, but also because when I was a young person, I did not have me. I didn't have the adult version of me. And um, I've been recently taken on more talks, particularly in the Asian American community, to make mental health dialogue just more out in the open. So uh, if you want to get connected to me, you could find me on Instagram at livingfullyig. Um, I'm also on Clubhouse where I run some groups every Friday evening. So if you feel connect- like connecting, I'd love to hear from you. Um, and so my story, the story I want to share with you, it's, it's just one part and it took place a couple of years ago. And I'd like to start by saying that mental health isn't discriminatory. Um, it can happen even though you've got your shit together. And a couple of years ago, by many accounts, I did. I, um, I had my dream job. Uh, I was a manager at a mental health clinic where I managed a program of like 500 plus clients of our most needy population in Los Angeles. Um, and it was going well. I was married for five years um, and we had just bought our first home in our favorite um, neighborhood of Los Angeles. But the list of what I was ignoring amidst all of that was much, much longer. Um, I was frequently working those 10, 12 hours days. Um, I felt really lonely because I, working those hours, I lost touch with my family and with my friends. And my body was desperately trying to get my attention. Um, I remember having difficulty breathing in the evening and migraines during the day. And then just throughout my week, random body aches. Um, My stress level was definitely through the roof. Um, And I was working myself into another depressive episode. Depression was something I've been dealing with since I was a young person. And this actually starts with that. And when I think about this period, I consider my rock bottom. I can also see that I had the trappings of my version of that perfect life. And I considered myself fairly self-aware, often did a fair job of asking first for help. Um, and sometimes I even accepted it. Um, but I felt really, really alone on top of my mountain. Um, and that was clearly much of my own doing. For example, I um, early 2019, I had just organized a holiday talent show for our clients. And um, when I, when I did, I took on sound and video and I encouraged my, my staff of 10 people to sit out in the audience and just like listen and enjoy themselves. And I remember in the midst of one of the client's songs standing backstage by the way that I had spent the whole prior week erecting, planning, organizing. Um, I looked at them from backstage and I remember for a super brief moment thinking like, well, how come I didn't ask them to help me? This would have been a lot easier, but the song ended. And so that thought was immediately interrupted and, uh, and I had to you know, do my duty. From there, I just kept on returning to this idea and belief that my program was my baby and uh, was my responsibility, nobody else's. Uh, What finally tipped the scale and triggered the depressive episode happened a few weeks later. Um, One of my staff had found a note within the center that said, kill Cynthia. And when they showed me that note, I I went numb and my clinician brain kicked in because I remember telling them to consult another supervisor because I was too close to be objective. And that was true. I was. Um, And you'd think I might stop at that point to check in with myself, but I didn't. I kept forging on telling my clients, my loved ones, that I was more angry and confused than scared. The only person who didn't realize that I was terrified was me, honestly. Um, But my body didn't let me ignore that. And what finally got me to notice that something was going wrong was there was a day that came after that note was found where I waited until everybody had left for the day. I closed my door. I turned off the light and I just started to sob out of terror, just sheer, sheer terror. I didn't want to leave the building because I was scared that if I left the building, the person who wrote the note would be there, just there to greet me. Um, And it was this that was the impetus that took me to hesitatingly take a medical leave to enroll in an intensive outpatient treatment where I hoped that the intensiveness of it would help expedite my healing and get me back to my baby as soon as possible. Um, and so I stopped working, which was an extremely abrupt stop for me to from working 10 to 12 hour days. And I was so anxious those first few days of that program. I didn't do much, but go to group and then let, go home and lay in bed or lay around the house. So on one morning, I woke up, at home, and I needed to go to the clinic for group later on that afternoon. And mind you, I'd been in a full depressive episode at that point. I lost the ability to speak, which is something that happens for me sometimes. Um, I, I can't speak more than a few words at a time. And then I also started experiencing those familiar suicidal thoughts. Uh, and I cried with my husband Fahed as he sat and tried to comfort me. Um, The the other symptom that I was experiencing was like these really distorted thoughts as well of like, my rationale for the suicidal thought was, if I kill myself, then that person won't kill me. At least I'll have control over that. Um, And even... In that distorted way that I was thinking, I recognized that this was a big decision to make. Um, And whenever I encounter a big decision, I immediately go into agonizing mode. And here's where I start, where I I like to believe that my training started to save me. And I switched on that clinician brain again Um, going into triage mode, asking myself the assessment questions I've asked dozens and dozens of people before Um, Do I have thoughts of dying by suicide? Yes. Do I have a plan? Yes. Do I have the means to carry out said plan? Yes. Do I, do I think I can keep myself safe? And that's where I got stuck. And I hesitated on that last question because I didn't know. Um, the thought that crossed my mind in that moment was that I'm not usually the kind of person with depression who went to the hospital, which meant to me, this must have really been bad. Um, and I cried some more. Um, I didn't want that to be true, so I waited 10 minutes, and then I assessed myself again. The answers didn't change, and then I waited another 10 minutes, and again, the answers didn't change, and still, as much as I didn't want it to be true, I, I couldn't help but face what was happening, and so luckily, I managed to tell Fahed that I thought that I may need to go to the hospital, and Immediately, he jumped into action and he was trying to help me call the crisis number. But because I was already too overwhelmed to speak, I couldn't talk to the woman. So she was recommending that he take me immediately to the hospital, um, to the emergency room. And so Fahed and I came to an agreement that if I go to my program and tell the clinicians there that what was going on, if they thought a hospitalization was the next step, I'd go. Um, And so I went. I went to my group. I told the clinicians what was happening. They also assessed me three times uh, with those same questions I asked myself that morning. And each time the answers were the same, even though I was trying, trying my darndest to try and will my brain to lie, will it to say something else because I knew where this was headed. Um, But... That didn't go that way, so I I did go to the hospital. And with everything that had been happening, it wasn't until I was already doubled up in hospital gowns staring at a green wall on the side of my shared room that I started to ask myself how I was doing. And even then, it wasn't really much of a question. It was more so an interrogation of me. Like, how did I get here? Um, And my best answer to myself at that point was, I don't know. Um, and facing that, I, it scared me. And so I did some more crying. And, um, shortly after that, my roommate, another patient entered the room. And so I tried to cry a little bit more quietly and I probably didn't get quiet enough because she said to me, it's okay. The first night is the hardest and I promise it gets better. I turned over to face her and immediately recognized her. Um, She was part of a group of patients I'd seen and overheard laughing and arguing over how to play Uno um, when I walked in and was being shown to my room. Um, And she was right because it did, it did get better. While I was in the hospital, it was quiet and I was forced, really forced to spend some time and focus in on myself. Um, rather than the millions of things I put on myself outside of the hospital. Um, And there, I didn't have to mind any of that. There, I was able to focus on me and start to live with my illness instead of trying to work around it. And I started to see progress. So leading up to my hospitalization, my decision-making, my concentration, my memory had all but totally disappeared. And I was really barely barely able to retain any information and uh, uh, let's see, and, and it was on my third day of the hospitalization that I walked into the empty common area room and there was a stack of coloring pages and I picked the like a slightly complicated one, one of those like paisley printed ones and sat down and I started to color. And it was when I finished the page that I realized that some of those faculties that I was afraid that I had lost were starting to come back. And I I still have that coloring page. It's something that I've kept since then. And it lives on my refrigerator as a reminder to me of my ability to heal. Um, I did feel more stable in the sense of suicidal thoughts and things had gone away after the hospitalization. But I recognized that I still had my old habits um, and my journey of healing was still a long one. Um, I tied so much of my self-worth into my role at the clinic, that I went into an existential panic of whether or not to quit. Who was I going to be without it? What fool was I going to be to give up the income? It was the highest income I had ever made in my adult life. Um, And when I finally decided and hit send on my carefully crafted email, I burst into tears. And it took me the last couple of years to get to where I am today. And from going through an identity crisis with my work after leaving, um, I'm no longer working those 10 to 12 hour days. And it's more like 25 hours a week filled with my favorite parts of my previous job, which is working directly with clients. And um, let me see. I just tried disc golf for the first time last week. Uh, but it was terrible. I was not good at it. Um, I recently joined a book writer book club um, as part as part of my journey has been reclaiming some of my Filipino heritage and it's given me a lot more confidence in terms of knowing who, who the giants are on the shoulders on which I stand. And so now my life is more reflective of my practices aimed to live fully. Um, I still have depressive episodes from time to time, but I don't ignore them anymore, and they tend to be shorter and less intense. Um, With time, I was able to gain a perspective that still holds true for me today, and what that is is that no amount of money or power or prestige could have saved me from myself at that moment. Only accepting help and practicing more life-affirming habits did that. And today, while I can acknowledge that I've made progress, I'm still working on getting better at accepting help, even in preparation and talking to you today. My anxiety went into full swing and I started to question whether or not I was going to share running all the worst case scenarios up in my brain. Um, And I was confronting these fears of not being considered competent or worse, having my license taken away. And these fears had me back in that full agonizing mode. Um, But this is where I started to do things differently. Um, I started to agonize aloud. Um, I spoke to my husband, my friends, random people on Instagram and Clubhouse, uh, who all encouraged me to share my story and still looking for a way out. I told my my therapist about my resolution to tell Jay, I'm not going to do this. And she didn't fight me. She, She did, however, suggest that I try on saying no for the evening. And when I did, I found that I felt super sad and disappointed about the lost opportunity that it was here to speak with you all tonight. And talking with my husband as we walked our dog, I came to this realization that I was the only person holding me back. From speaking to you all tonight, it was my own sense of fear and deep internalized stigma around my own mental illness that you know I knew it was beyond should or shouldn't. I wanted to do it and i, I and I just felt afraid um, I continued to talk to those people who encouraged me and even practice some of my most shamed portions of my story with random strangers on social media um, but with a different purpose, because I knew that if someone listening heard my story and could feel a little bit less alone in their pain, know that there's help out there, and then feel encouraged to take it because maybe it would help, moving through this fear was all totally worth it. Um, So that's my story. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm on Instagram and Clubhouse. So thank you so much.
0: That was wonderful. And I definitely, uh, man, I appreciate that you shared that you had the hesitations because I, I understand that from living that, you know, the first time I got off a stage after sharing my story, uh, I've told this many times. I, I ran to the back of the room. I was I was right before the break, right? So I was right in the Freddy's spot and I sat down. And I said, well, that's it. I've I've willfully ended my life. No one's going to respect me now that I've admitted this struggle. It's over for me. And the opposite happened. It was a crush of people came running up to me and gave me a hug. My brother Jake was there. He gave me a big hug and said he was proud of me. And that's when I knew how dumb I was for being so fearful of all these things that only existed in my head, but that doesn't make them any less real. So all of the the amazing honor and everything to Cynthia for for combating that, because it's very easy to give in to those fears Uh, just because they feel very real doesn't mean they are. Now, I hate to do it, but this is uh, coming up on our last storyteller of the night. In the early fall of 2020, late summer, early fall, uh, an acquaintance back in Cincinnati, Ohio, sent me a message to check out her cousin-in-law's nonprofit that makes videos about addiction. And I I don't know how to say this without sounding like that guy, but I was like, I get five of those messages a day. I I don't know about this one, right? I didn't really have high hopes. But what I saw absolutely blew me away. And since then, the founder and and the guy behind all of this, Alice Kaplan, has become – A friend, a brother in arms, a trusted voice in my life. We talk probably every other day at this point because he's just a guy that I trust. He's a guy that I turn to when I when I have a question. And, uh, you know, earlier today, I I tuned in and saw him do another similar event to this. Um, We've done we've done a lot of stuff together and we're going to do even more. He was on the Choose Your Struggle podcast two weeks ago. So check that out. His story—it's—it's uh, it's touching, it's inspiring, it's beautiful. Uh, I know you're going to love it. So, without further ado, please, wherever you are, clap for our last storyteller of the night, Alex Kavlan.
5: Hi, guys. Hi. Thanks, Jay. Thank you so much. It's so good to be your friend. And guys, thank you so much to all the other speakers. You guys are incredible, and I have—I'm—I'm uh, I'm ashamed to follow you guys up. I—I I hope I speak. At all. Um, uh, Okay. So, hi. I'm Alex Kaplan. I am the co-founding executive director of Of Substance. We are an innovative nonprofit working to overcome the blame, shame, and stigma surrounding addiction in a whole new way. We make premium entertaining short films, movies you really like watching, everything from romantic comedies to thrillers, um, turning immersive cinema into an approachable tool for behavioral change. We're making short films, three to 10 minute pieces to be used as tools to go into education, to treatment, um, and also to uh, fill and... Um, I'm sorry, grow an online platform that's available for free to all of you, to everyone, as a resource for support in your own life. When you can't make it to a meeting, you don't want to call your sponsor. You can go to ofsubstance.org, watch a free four minute short comedy, and be like, oh, that was great. Oh, wait, that's why I do it. I'm okay. Back to work. And then share it with your mom. Let her know, like, watch this thing, and she can watch and be like, oh, that was great. Is that really what it's like for you? You're like, yes, mom, that's what it's like for you. We're using the magic of movies to allow us each to walk a mile in each other's shoes and understand that universally relatable human experience. And that's that kind of leads right into what I wanted to talk about tonight, which is what everybody got to talk about tonight. Is just like you know, uh, we don't. No matter what we struggle with, like whether we struggle with depression. Uh, suicidal tendencies, homelessness, uh, addiction, um, physical ailments—all um, of these things. Just our circumstances may be so different, but the way that we respond to them, our our human emotional journeys, are actually quite similar. We all experience shame around something we struggle with, and shame is isolating, and absence on the notion that addiction is a disease of loneliness and isolation and the belief that if you can improve someone's sense of belonging, you can improve their mindset. So we're not in the business of creating film. We're in the business of creating community and an opportunity for people to connect, feel seen, and remember that there is hope. Uh, so speaking of hope, let me tell you about my hopeless times. <laughs> this is such a great idea, Jay, talking about those things that we don't really talk about often. I was actually like thinking about what the hell I was going to talk about today. Uh, and I was talking to my wife and my, my partner, my business partner about it today while we were working. And I was reminiscing about the worst times that I don't usually talk about. And here it goes. Um, so uh, I am sober not out of choice Well, yeah, it's a choice, but uh, out of necessity, I had to or I'd be dead uh, and I would have ruined uh, every life of everyone who cared about me. but uh honestly in the end, I just got lucky you know uh, we just some of us just get lucky and we survive long enough to realize that this is not what I want to do like like Freddie was saying, it's just like you have a purpose. you have a reason to be here. you just you make it for yourself, you find it. I got lucky enough to survive long enough to find it. Um, So uh, I was very privileged uh, growing up. My father did really well. I'm from Center City, Philadelphia. He made a lot of money and I grew up with multiple homes, which is uh, embarrassing in a way, to be honest. That's a little bit of shame that I have, which is weird in itself. But uh, my dad died when I was 23. And in the same day, we found out that we were tens of millions of dollars in debt. So everything that I knew... Uh, everything that I had, everything that like I that made me feel safe was taken away uh, within twelve hours of giving the eulogy and being told that, and uh, it was scary. That's that's privileged, but that's my trauma, and that's a thing. We all have trauma. It doesn't matter those things that we have, the money, the houses, the the cars or, or whatever they don't keep us safe they they don't make they they don't make us who we are how we feel makes us who we are and just because we might be in a a 10, 000 square foot house doesn't mean that we don't feel lonely and worthless and hopeless inside and so uh my trauma may led me to feel hopeless and scared and wanted to run away from the world and numb so i did uh, I studied acting. I was an actor in New York. Really, I was bartending. I mean, let's get real. And uh, so I was bartending, and I started drinking heavily. It helped made me not think about all the fear and all the shame and all the and the life that was ahead of me that I was not that I didn't want to deal with. Uh, so I started drinking a lot, like shitload. Uh, and I luck luckily found cocaine. Cocaine was great. That numbed that numbed me. Quite a bit, and I was using it um, with friends. Right? I was, I was not. I was using it, but I was using it socially for a long time. Um, and then it got to a point where I was sneaking it right? Like I'd be out with people who drank a lot or did a lot of cocaine and I would still have a secret bag or I'd sneak away to order more. Or I'd, we'd have shots and shots and shots at the table. And I'd say, I got to go to the bathroom, sneak over to the bar, order three shots of tequila down those in 10 seconds, and then go back to the table because they weren't drinking enough and we weren't drinking enough. And I needed to hide how much more I needed to drink. Um, yeah. And so I did that. And after a while, it got to a point where I didn't go out anymore. It wasn't about being social with people. Like I needed more and more and more because everything was scarier and scarier and scarier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And, heavier, and I just needed to numb. I really needed to numb. So I got to a point. Uh, first, I was living with my uh, girlfriend at the time who became an ex-girlfriend, who became a girlfriend, who became an ex-girlfriend, who's now my wife, Um and we had two separate, we had two different rooms in our apartment in New York, and I'd come home from my bar shift late at night, drugged up, and I didn't want her to know uh, what I was doing. So I'd have three bags of cocaine uh, sleeping on the futon in the other room, and I would sneak it into my pillowcase on the in the pillow that I was sleeping on, and... Um, and I was so wired and so paranoid and so messed up that I would just like think that I was hearing her. And for eight hours, every five seconds or every like five minutes, I'd sneak the bag out, I'd take a little bit, I'd put it back in, and my eyes would pop. And then I'd just shake and be scared that she'd catch me. And then five minutes later, I'd need more. And I'd do that for about six to eight hours on end. Um, there was blood all over my pillowcases uh, because. Because I couldn't breathe, because it was just clogged. And, and then like to get it out, I'd blow my nose. And then like my nose would be bleeding profusely. And and that was that was how that happened. We broke up, I moved out. And for four months, I was living with a friend. And it got to a point where I was, I hold myself up in my apartment and I would do two eight balls a day for five days straight alone without sleep crash for two days and then do it all over again um by the way uh one gram of cocaine is more than a lot of people do in a day uh an eight ball is about four grams i was doing eight grams of cocaine a day uh for five days straight uh that's how much that is and that was scary Uh, i got to a point of paranoia where i was i was hiding knives in the couch uh, because I was worried that the government w- or the ninjas were going to break in and catch me t- and, um, that was pretty scary. And, uh, my best friend, uh, a lot of people call me and let me know, like, you know, come out, like do something. And it, my best friend, Zach called me one day and let me know. He, he was just like, Hey man, let's, let's go to a movie. He, he was trying so hard. Um, best friend since we were kids was with me through my dad's death. Like he, we were family and, and he, I made up some bullshit excuse. And he was just like, finally, like, Alex, why are you doing this? And I, I made some crap up, right? Like I, I said something and we went on to, uh, to then, uh, but, but what he said kind of planted that seed in my head, you know, just like, uh, why am I doing this? What is happening? There is a problem here. And so I, I went on to um, uh, recognize that something was wrong. I got bar to my ex-girlfriend, now wife, she said, get the hell out of here, get out of New York, go home to Philly, Get get together for the summer. And I did. I go home and I seek help for myself. And I get on the path to getting help but you know going to the group that I went to I still left every Tuesday night group and I go and I pick up a bag and I go home to my mom's and in a very tight apartment in an adjacent room I pulled that same shit keep the bags of cocaine in that pillowcase mom if you're listening I think this is you uh finding out about this um and I would just lay there thinking she was going to come in for 8 hours as every 5 minutes I'd roll over and take another sniff I was a slave to it and and I didn't want it to stop. I was afraid of the world that was awaiting me once I woke up and once I got sober. But I worked my ass off and it took two years to get off the cocaine. And after getting off cocaine, I realized that I was drinking the same way I was using cocaine. And so it happened. I mean, I got to a point of drinking where I was working a job in Wilmington, Delaware, and I lived past Philly in the suburbs. It was an hour drive home. And I'd leave the office, I'd go straight to the liquor store in Delaware, I'd pick up a full bottle of bourbon, and then I'd pick, and I'd also pick up a pint of vodka, and I would drink the entire pint of vodka while driving home, every day. Um, it was, I am so lucky that I never hit anybody, that nothing ever happened, that everybody else is safe, and that is something I can never fix, Nothing, something I can never take back. Um But I'm here now, and I get to make a difference. I got to work my ass off, and people who were there to believe in me while I was when I wasn't ready to believe in myself. And I think that's a power of group support, right? That's uh, we at Of Substance we consider ourselves treatment agnostic, and uh, that means that we don't push or and we're not against twelve steps or or AA and we're not against or for medication or something more progressive to each their own. Like everybody's different. Um, But across all these methodologies, there is one consistency and that is the power of connection, the power of peer support and group therapy. And so that's what we promote. That's what we speak to. Um, So uh, yeah, Um, I got really lucky. I found people and a home that was there for me I read until I was ready to believe in myself. And if you are out there feeling isolated, feeling different, feeling full of shame and disconnection and alone, you're not crazy. Others get it. And it's okay. If you don't believe in yourself, you, you're not supposed to believe in yourself right now. You get better at believing in yourself that you can do something before you actually do it. But, but we don't usually do that. Right. Um, so that's, but that's what we're here for. We at Ups Substance are here to believe in you until you are ready to believe in yourself because you can do it. You are here for a reason. Like you, you have so much to offer and you are so valuable. Um, So yeah, uh, if uh, that's, that's my rock bottom. Those are the things I don't really talk about much. You know, I just say, Hey, I did a lot of Coke and I drank a lot and that's, and now I do this. But, um, but I'm so lucky to be at this point in my life where I'm here, I meet wonderful people like, <laughs> like everybody tonight, like Jay and Michelle and TJ and Freddie and Cynthia. And we're all doing our work trying to, you have a story just like we do. And, and the more you get to share it, the better. Our mission, our vision, statement at of substance is to unify humanity by normalizing vulnerability, combating isolation and, and creating community as we connect people through the power of story. Practice vulnerability. It's good for you and it's good for everybody else. Be strong, share your story, just show up. You got this. You're great. Um, so uh, with that, uh, I'm done, but I'd love to just mention, please go to ofsubstance.org. That's our website. We have nine films finished, and they're all there for free as a resource for you to help you through your challenges, to share with the loved ones in your life who may be dealing with their own challenges, or to use as a communication tool that helps you show the things that are hardest to say. There are also resources on there where you can connect with people immediately um, to talk to peers anonymously in chat rooms about struggles you might be dealing with through iRelate, which is a partner of ours. Um, and there's so much more. We are also always looking for people to join us. Go on there. There's buttons to share your story with us. It might inspire our next short film. And we'd love to have you join us on set as we bring it to life. Uh, we are a nonprofit. If uh, if you are inclined and are in a place to do so. Uh, We're always looking for help financially, but if uh, all you can do is go on there and subscribe and become part of our family that way, we'd love to have you. Thank you all so much. It's a, a privilege.
0: All right, we've come to the end. That was fantastic. Thank you all for tuning in. Everybody who is here throughout, everyone who's still here, Thank you. Thank you to all of our speakers, Freddie, Michelle, Cynthia, and Alex, our incredible musical guest, TJ White. Like uh, Alex said, like I said at the beginning, nobody here was doing this because they were getting paid a lot of money. We don't have a sponsor for this thing. We were just doing it to help normalize these struggles, to help uh, make people feel okay about going through struggles and talking about it so please show your thank you by checking out all of us uh the things we do you know by day Uh, everybody's website everybody's social media was displayed at some time like i said you can find me at jay or choose your struggle anywhere on social media check out the podcast choose your struggle and make sure you go check out all of these people um all of them except for cynthia have been on choose your struggle so go listen to their 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 episode and in the future cynthia will be there so so don't worry She'll, she'll make it there too but everybody just thank you i really appreciate everybody coming out enjoy the rest of your night